The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, it's good to be back with you. Can you guys all hear me? It's good to be with you. A couple Sundays ago, I was preaching at our sunrise service right there outside, and then Last week, I had the privilege to preach for another one of our missionaries in the, the city of Rome there. Some of you remember Cesare Caesar Albanese, and uh, that was last Sunday. He was interpreting for me there at your church, and I just want to start by thanking you for your prayers as we traveled, and, and that, this church needs your prayers, and, and we need to be praying for them. Is there a new church plant? Just a few months, they've been in this building here, just a couple months now that the Lord has provided, and I want to take, thank the elders for letting me take a few days away to encourage our missionary there. I could tell it was really needed. Um, Caesar and his family send their thanks, send their greetings to you, and I think I'll be able to share more of that maybe next week. A uh, sweet family just took me into their home and uh, it was just a great blessing to be, to be with them. I think I've got another picture here. They were my buddies. And then this is some of the leaders. Um, on your left is Johnny. Uh, in the middle is Simone. Next to him is uh, Caesar Cesare. And then Dario next to me is a new part of their team who's joining their training academy to be helping them with translation works. It's a great need to have good theological works in Italian, and so he's going to be helping the, the TMAI school there. They estimate only a fraction of a percent of people in Italy are true believers and truly understand the gospel. We're talking a, a, a tiny number in the church of Rome, or the, the area of Rome with millions, there's just a, a handful of small churches that really... Tr- teach the true gospel. And I was reminded of what Paul says in Romans 1. He says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And Paul says this of the gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And as I I met some of these believers and some of those who are being trained at the school, I know that is their heart. They are eager to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome and beyond because it's the gospel that is the power of God. Under salvation, I was as I walked around Rome. I was reminded of the need for that gospel power to be preached. I walked on these steps here that were likely the steps that the Apostle Paul was led on to the prison, the Mamertine prison, the last prison that he stayed in while he was awaiting his trial and eventual edu- uh, execution. Uh, Peter may very well have been there as well in this prison right here. Both apostles would be executed not far from here. And not far from here, there, at that time, there would have been this massive statue of Nero, about 100 feet tall. So think of the Statue of Liberty. There was a, a statue of Nero there in front of the Colosseum, the one who so greatly persecuted the early church in the years 64 to 68 A.D., Today there's a lot of dead Christianity in that place where Roman Catholicism arose out of Rome. You can see huge statues of Mary there 
And then at her feet, there's this little Jesus, almost as a footnote. There was a prayer in one of their cathedrals that Caesar was reading to me. And the whole prayer is is really going through like our series in the book of Romans on the attributes of God. Almost all of those attributes, it's ascribing them to Mary and asking her to do these among us. And then at the very end, there's a mention of Jesus in Jesus' name. It was sobering and, and sad to see. We saw the Vatican's wealth and works that so many people think will save them, the relics and the religion that is empty. We, we visited the Sancta, Sanctorum which is their holy of holies, where you can get a plenary indulgence. That means a full indulgence for the temporal punishment of sin. There's the Vatican there. But at that, at that Sancta Sanctorum, there's the Scala Santa, the holy stairs from Jerusalem, that Catholics, while we were there, were climbing these stairs on their knees. And we as, as tourists went around the side, but at the top of the stairs, I looked down and I could see the faces of these people on their knees and they're, they're looking up and they're thinking as they do these prayers and say these Hail Marys and say these Lord's prayers and confessions that as they get to the top that this is going to save them or get them to heaven. It was, it was a sad scene and this is the very place where Martin Luther in the year 1510 or 1511 as a, as a monk, he, he had said, if, if anyone could be saved by monkery, it would be me. He was, he was a devout monk. And he came to Rome, and he was disillusioned as he went around the city of Rome and saw sin all around, even among the fellow religious devout. But he came to these stairs, and he, on his knees, prayed and made his way to the very top of the stairs, and then got to the top and looked around and saw everything that was happening And some say it was his aha moment where he thought, who can say if all of this is true? As he looked around later, he would come to have more and more doubts. But he was disillusioned from that trip in Rome. His son, Luther's son, wrote that while he was climbing those steps, he had, this isn't recorded in Luther's writings, but his son said that the words came to him vividly from Scripture, the just shall live by faith. And all that made me recall how important the Reformation was then and now, where Olive and and Carissa live in Germany and Saxony was the heart of where a lot of the early Reformation happened with Germany and all that. But the Roman church then and now taught Scripture plus tradition, grace plus good works, faith plus the saints, Christ plus plus his mother and other things, and God's glory, plus the Pope's primacy. But the Reformation gospel, and you see it on the banners behind me, is in five solas, based on Scripture alone. The Bible teaches that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and for the glory of God alone. That's what those banners behind me say, and if you were to go to our church website and click about what we teach, you'll see this at the top, the five solas of the Reformation, the overarching guiding principles. Sola Scriptura means Scripture alone is our ultimate authority and standard. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone, right behind me, be glory, and none to us in salvation and all of life. Sola Gratia, it's Grace alone that saves us. It's all of God. It's nothing of man. 
And then sola fide, faith alone is what receives saving grace. It's not our works. It's not our merit. And then solo Christu or solus Christus, Christ alone is Savior. And he should be the ultimate focus of all that we do. If you were to go to our What We Believe Essentials page, you'll also see these five solas over each section. I've said before, these are the banners we want to fly highest here. I'm as convinced more than ever after this trip that this is what we need, this is what the world needs. And with all that fresh in my mind, I, I thought it would be good today to do a refresher on these truths of the Reformed faith and the historic Christianity that we stand in that are so essential for us. Because these Five core principles set apart true Christianity from the false and from cults. These are the key issues. If you're talking to someone with a cult, these are the same key issues you want to talk about it because there are many who will affirm Scripture, but not alone. They have their other authoritative books. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholics, liberal Protestant churches may say you're saved by grace through faith in Christ But it's not alone. There's other things that are added. All other religion is works-based. It's plus works. And even born-again evangelicals can talk of God's glory, but not give him all glory alone for salvation. Even good born-again evangelicals can let other good things become the center, practically instead of God's glory. And so we're going to be back in Exodus after the conference. Today we're going to be in Ephesians, if you would turn there. And my title is The Five Solas and Our Philosophy of Ministry. And a ministry philosophy is a foundation for the why and how of ministry. Why and how are we to minister to one another, to care for each other in the church with our church care conference? We're going to be here in just five days to prepare for an important weekend, I, I thought it would be good to review why we're to do what we do and how by his grace, for his glory, alone. Look with me at Ephesians 2 and verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And then this whole explanation is, is really explaining that it's alone with several different phrases that explain that this is not your own doing. That's the first one. Then, even to make it more emphatic, it is the gift of God. And then, just in case it wasn't clear, not as a result of works. And then finally, so that no one may boast. So you can't boast or take any credit for any part of this. Then verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So our our first point in putting all this together is we're saved to serve by grace alone, through faith alone. Verse 10 says God saves us to serve. He doesn't save us to sit. God doesn't save us to just slip out of church quietly and not do anything with the church or talk with people from the church during the week. We're not saved for the sidelines. We're not saved 
to be spectators. We are saved to be serving. And verse 9 is very clear. We're not saved by works. But then verse 10 is equally clear. We are saved for good works. Look at the text there. When, when he saves us, he recreates us in Christ for good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. There's specific works of service that he has prepared for you, for you, not to sit around and watch others do for you. For each believer, we're saved to serve by grace through faith. Verse 10 explains that every believer is God's workmanship, his special creation. And he has a a purpose for each of us to do good works. And he's he's prepared good works for you. And so if that's the end of this passage, the goal and where he's aiming to, What are you doing? How are you working out in gratitude for grace? Not to earn anything, but how are you in response to God's grace working, serving other believers? What are you doing in the church or even outside the church? See, grace doesn't just save us, it makes us alive. In fact, look at verse 1. And you were, this is before Christ, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So there was all kinds of works we were doing before, but they were works of sin in that realm. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And there's this little note here, By grace you have been saved. That's what it means to be by grace you've been saved. You were dead and he made you alive. And then verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Corey taught from 2 Peter 1.3. It says it's his mercy that caused us to be born again, to be given life like like the babies among us who have been born and, that, and there's life now and they respond and they, they come to love their parents. But this is, it's not something they caused. Their, their love for their parents is, is genuine, but they didn't cause this or, or begin it. And, and even our faith, what Paul says here, is part of God's gift. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift The grammar is that whole thing is a gift. It's not our own doing. It's not of our own free will. It's not of ourselves. It's God's gift. Not anything we do or would do on our own. So that no one may boast. So no one can say, well, I I just came to my senses more than others. No, God, when we were dead, 
I mean, it's alive if you're dead. You're not doing anything. You, you're stinking. You can, you can stink worse. But you don't choose or do anything. To be dead in, spiritually in, in our sins means we're not moving towards God. We're not doing anything positive towards God. In this realm, down here, there's all kinds of things, but there's, in this realm towards God, there's a, there's a deadness, there's a blindness, there's a, a hardness that Scripture talks about. But God, the text says, when we were dead, not when we did something, when we were dead, he made us alive. That's what it means to be saved by grace. It's grace alone. It's regenerating grace that proceeds and produces our life of faith. God makes alive, and then we respond in faith. We're not resurrected because we respond. We respond because we're resurrected. A baby responds because it's been born. But even faith, in verse 8, is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's all of grace alone. But what Paul's point here is, is that that saving grace doesn't stay alone. And we can't stay alone once we're saved. We, we want to be with God's people. We need to be with God's people doing good works in verse 10. If you think you can be saved by doing good things or being a good enough person, you're not saved. You need to turn from your sin, turn from your self-trusting in anything that you can do and trust the work of Jesus for you on the cross in his life and his death and his resurrection. And if you're saved, you're alive. You're saved to serve. It's by grace, and it's in gratitude and good works. This is what we sang. Through faith alone we come to you. We have no merit. We can claim sure that your promises are true. We place our hope in Jesus' name. By grace alone we have been saved. All that we are has come from you Hearts that were once by sin enslaved, now by your power have been made new. So look with me at chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace given to me for you. And just pause there for a moment. What is a steward? Do or what is a stewardess we're more familiar with do on a plane? I, I was on a plane earlier this week, and the the steward or the stewardess's job is to serve others with what they've been given. They don't own it; they're to pass on what they've been given, and, and their job is to serve others and to not mess it up on the way and not spill it on you, and to serve you. That's, that's our job, too, is God has given us grace We're as stewards. We don't own it. We didn't, we didn't bring this about. Our job is to take what has been given to us and to serve it faithfully and to try not to step on people or spill on people, but to serve them. And that's what verse 7, and Paul says, this was given to me for you. Verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me. This is going to take us to our our second point. The gift of God's grace made him a minister. Grace wasn't just given to him. It was to flow through him to others. And so we're saved to serve by grace alone, through faith alone. But number two, Christ and his word alone are sufficient for ministry. In chapter 4, 
The all-sufficient Christ graciously gives believers all they need to minister in his body. Look at verse 7. We read the whole thing, but let me draw your attention to verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, quoting from a psalm, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So that's a prophecy from the Psalms. When Jesus would be resurrected and ascended from that position, he was going to give gifts. And here's some of them in verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. The saints is just a New Testament term for Christians, believers. The ones who are set apart by God to be holy, to equip the saints or the believers for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And there's so much here we could look at, but just look at verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Some of you can relate to this. There are certain joints and parts of your body that maybe aren't working fully properly. And it can, it can have a great effect on the whole rest of your body, even just a, a toe or a finger, much less a, a knee or a hip. I know there's a number in pain here. And the, the point here is that the, the whole body needs to be doing its part so that the body will be healthy and, and strong. I like how the Nine Marks ministry puts it this way in one article. The shepherds oversee ministry, the deacons facilitate ministry, and the congregation does ministry. So the the shepherds, the elders, the pastors are to oversee and and give leadership and direction to ministries. The, The deacons and other servants as well, whether or not they have the title, are facilitating ministry. And the congregation, though, is doing the ministry. It's not these other two groups doing it, so you don't have to. We're all, everyone has a part, every joint, every body part is involved here. And, and the proposition is that Christ gives each believer a role in ministering. I'm using that word ministering the way the New Testament does, is serving. It's synonymous with serving, or in this text also building up the body would be another term. Here's what First Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Each believer receives at least one gift. Minister it, Paul says, to one another. And his sufficient grace is given to each one, it says here, according to the measure of Christ's gift. He gives the church shepherds and teachers not to do all the ministry. Verse 12 says, to equip you to, equip you to do ministry. This word equipping is... is very much like what Oliver was describing in the, music, the ministry of physical therapy. This was a term actually used in helping things that aren't quite right, coming alongside people. Things are, are out of their, their original design, but there's things you can do to, to help them, to encourage them, to align them, to give them the, the tools when you're not there to, to do all that the body is designed to do. That's this term, equipping 
And Christ is enough for the saints and the church to this ministry, to this work, to this service. And in fact, this work of ministry in verse 12 is the same word that chapter 2, verse 10 says, we're saved for works, for good works. And that word ministry here in chapter 4, verse 12 is the New Testament word for service that all believers are called to do. If you look up this original word and its noun and its verb form, it's for what all believers are called to do. The first time I visited this church, it was almost 17 years ago. This was the passage that I preached on the very first time as I was a candidate here. And I shared the story of how when I was a freshman at Masters, there's a small Christian college, I, I made the basketball team as a walk-on. Uh, the, a walk-on. The first 10 or 11 or 12 guys on the team got a full scholarship, but there were always a, a slot or two open, uh, and that, th- those people, the walk-ons, would get fun but no scholarship. That was, that was one of me. Um, I was on the third string. I scored and, and worked really hard in warm-ups. I, I warmed the bench. Uh, but when we were up by 30, sometimes I would get to get in. I was a practice player, but I didn't care that I wasn't a star on the court. Honestly, my, I wanted to work hard and practice to help make the starters better and I wanted to cheer louder than anyone else on the bench. I was really good at waving my towel on the very end of the bench. I wasn't a passive spectator just watching them do the action. I realized I had an active role to play even if I wasn't out on the court. And the next year was devastating to me because I got cut from the basketball team. And, and honestly, it had become an idol in my life. It had become too big of a thing. But I was devastated. It was devastating to my pride, but also to my passion and what I was most consumed with at that time. It was actually a good thing because that was the year I met Jamie and I had more time to look around at what really mattered. But there was a job available to me, the coach told me, and that was assistant manager. And that that might sound like something impressive, but I I took the job. Really what it was was the water boy. Um, And the one who washes their stinky uniforms and has to clean out their dirty lockers, which no matter how many times you tell them, they're, they're just leaving them a disaster. And during the games, I had a different responsibility. I, I would set up the locker room beforehand. I would get everything ready. But I, sometimes I had to video. I had to sit back in the booth away from the action where I would have much rather have been right at a front row seat. But I, I learned there were, I learned being away from the action was brutal, but also I learned how my role was vital. And it taught me humility, which I needed a lot of. It taught me every part is important, even the parts that no one notices or appreciates that I hadn't appreciated the year before. Even what stinks is there's someone who needs to help with that. And if their uniforms weren't ready, if they didn't have water to hydrate them, if they didn't have the things that I was doing, they couldn't play and so I learned I could help the team by doing what was needed and not just what I wanted. And in a sense that's what Paul is saying in verses 11 through 12 if I can just expand that analogy against there's there's some who founded the school we can think of the apostles prophets founding the church there's recruiters there's athletic directors and there's coaches but they're equipping the team to do the work they're they're preparing them to get in the game. 
They don't do it for them. They're preparing the team for the action, and the teammates are to build each other up. The coach's pregame speech isn't so you go home. It's so you'll go out there. You'll get there, and you'll, you'll work as a team. And the analogy that Paul is saying here is no one in the church is to just be a spectator or just a passive observer, just sitting way back in the, in the back of the the bleachers, that there's some who have a more visible or upfront role than others. Some are more on center stage, but there are others who are, are there to cheer them on, to encourage them. Most are not in that starting five. Many are behind the scenes or helping from the sidelines. Some of them in the, in the basketball arena go onto the court during timeouts to clean it up so it's safe for others. There's people running the scoreboard. There's all kinds of, of small roles I learned about. There's people in the support band. Most are not the star, but every part has a valuable role. And how ridiculous it would be if the players just stayed in the huddle. You know, they're getting ready for the game, and then they just stay in that huddle there, and they just keep talking and encouraging each other. They, they never do one, two, three team. They're just, they're just there. They, they stay in that huddle, and, and there's Christians who, who want to just stay in a holy huddle and don't want to get out there. How ridiculous would it have been for us to send our coach Bill out on the court instead of us? I say, well, he, he's, he's the paid guy. I mean, he's got the experience. He knows this more than anyone. He's been studying film and all these things for decades here. He, we're not professionals. And besides, it's, it's, it's more comfortable here. If we all sit on the side, we're not going to get sweaty. We're not going to risk getting hurt if we just stay back here. As, as bad as that would have been for us to send little Coach Bill out there to face the other team Instead of us, that's what Christians do when they don't get out there, when they just stay back and expect the minister to do it, not knowing that they're to be a minister. On our church website under about, you can, re- you can go to what we believe, and we have this philosophy of ministry, and I want to read what it says on verses 11 through 12 here. The body gathers for teaching the believers and equipping and preparing them to scatter to do the work of ministry so that they, the saints, are doing the work of ministry, ministering to one another. The New Testament word often translated ministry, diakonia, is a word that basically means service. And all believers are servants or ministers in the primary sense of the Greek word. Any right-hearted work of service Christians give to each other is ministry, including prayer, changing diapers in the nursery, as some are doing right now, taking care of the facilities, running the soundboard, doing security, as some are doing right now, so we're safe, working behind the scenes here. And, and there's people even doing these things very this very moment. It's not helpful to see the pastor as the minister when every Christian is called to be a minister, a servant, biblically, in a fundamental sense. In fact, the, the verb in verse 12, the root verb for ministry here, is often used in the Gospels, most often for women ministering to and with Jesus in the Gospels. You can think of women's ministry, kids' ministries, all kinds of different ministries. And I wasn't kidding earlier when I talked about Carissa having an important ministry, the ministry of motherhood. That's very much an important ministry in God's word. And 
Look at chapter 4, verse 15. How do, how do we do this? This is what it looks like. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So that takes us to Christ and his word. We're to speak the truth of his sufficient word in love. We're to show love in our acts of service, but also we want to speak his truth. And his truth spoken in love is sufficient for us to do our part in verse 16. And in chapter 1, he calls his truth the word of truth, which is able to save. It's sufficient to save. In chapter 5, he's going to talk about how Christ washes his bride, the church, with the water of the word that he might sanctify her, that he might present her to himself without, without fault and, and blemish. So the word of Christ is sufficient to sanctify us, to save and to sanctify. And then chapter 6, in the, the armor of God, is going to talk about how the, the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, is, is the sufficient weapon to, to battle the, the enemy of our flesh and our soul and our own sin. It's the, the word of God, like Jesus. It is written, it is written, it is written. It's the sword of the Spirit that, that we wield. Everything else in the armor there is defensive, but the, the sole and sufficient weapon that we have is the word of God. God's Word. And you'll be hearing in the conference how Scripture is sufficient to, for souls to care for souls. But let me read a little more from our philosophy of ministry. The Word of God in the original is inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative and sufficient for all of life. There is no need to turn to secular men to solve man's spiritual problems. It is God's whole counsel in Scripture, rightly understood, which has the power over sin rather than the counsel of the ungodly, which we should avoid. Psalm 1.1 says, Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We believe a truly biblical counseling model seeks to meet man's spiritual needs by God's all-sufficient word rather than integrating psychology or psychiatry to solve man's sin problems. Any aspect of ministry must subordinate itself to the scrutiny of Scripture. So in Acts 17, 11, they were examining what Paul taught to see if it was so. The validity of any, any ministry philosophy is not pragmatic success, but faithfulness to the Word. Having a high view of God and His Word is the highest need of us and the church, and we're going to be strong or weak in proportion to our view of God and His Word. This is so important. And so ministry begins with those who, Isaiah says, tremble at God's word, who reverence God's word, who carefully and prayerfully seek to apply God's word and to seek to pass on God's word to others. May God help us to honor Christ and his sufficient word in our ministry. You can read our philosophy of ministry that the elders put together in the I think it was the year 2009. It's on our website. But there's one more question. A ministry philosophy includes why we serve. What is our purpose? What is our purpose? Ministering is what believers do. The motive is why we do it. Why does God save us to serve? Look back at chapter 1, verse 4. Because I think we'll see this language of, of purpose. Chapter 1, verse 4 says, He, this is God, chose us in Him 
before the foundation of the world. So, so when did this all begin? He chose us before the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose, there it is, the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. So that's the purpose of his election, his predestination, his adopting grace. It's to praise and it's to prize the Father's glory. And then verse 7 is going to talk about what Christ does now, his redemption, his forgiveness, and all that that Steve read earlier. But what is the purpose? Verse 11, in him we have obtained, this is in Christ, an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose. There's purpose again. Of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, here it is, to the praise of his Glory. So the purpose is the glory of the Son, the the glory of the Father. Now, verse 13, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So here's the third person of the Godhead now. Who is the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So it's to the praise of the Spirit's glory. We're to praise the Spirit and His glory and the Father and His glory and the Son and His glory. Everything they've done from eternity past, the present, and the future, it is all to the praise of His glory. Glory be to the Father, glory to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. And so that's our last point, as you could guess where we're going. It's right, front, and center, behind me, solely, Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone is the purpose in ministering and everything. It's not ultimately about us or what we do. It's about something God did in eternity past. It's about the grace of Christ working in the present, and it's about a sovereign God through his Spirit who secures an eternal future for his elect. God's purpose is to be above all. His glory is to be not just perceived, but praised and prized above all, and his glory is to be preeminent over all in all things. Look at chapter 3, verse 20. This is the crescendo That our brother, Pastor Elder Steve, read earlier, chapter 3, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Here's the crescendo of the book. To him be the glory in the church. Right in the center of the book, that's what it's all about. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And then God's word says, therefore. Therefore. And then chapter 4 is going to be about the church and its ministry. Every, every part doing its work. Every body part being a part. It, it's all for God's glory. It's not about us. All to God be the glory in the church. This is the chief end of man. This is the chief end of man in the church. To glorify God alone to enjoy him together forever. Soli Deo Gloria for all that we do. And so as we come to the CARE conference this weekend, and it's not too late to register to come, as you heard earlier, I hope you do. But I hope we all remember the purpose of caring for one another. The the themes are equipping, edifying, and, and exhorting, I believe. 
the purpose of all of that is solely Deo Gloria. Listen to 1 Peter 4.9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So there's some little things of how we can serve. Be hospitable to one another. Don't grumble. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. And then he says this, if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. So all these come together. It's as we serve, we need to do it by grace alone. We need to be exercising faith as we serve. We need to be leaning on Christ and his word as we serve. All of this goes together. We need to be doing it for the glory of God. We can do all kinds of good things without those things in our mind. I, I know that I can. We need to always remember these things. We've I think heard the story, some of you have, of the bricklayers before. Someone was in Europe. One of the things about being in the, in the UK or in Italy and Europe, you see these incredible cathedrals and buildings over a thousand years old that, that people worked on and the bricks and, and some things in Rome that are 2,000 years old, like the great Colosseum and how it's still standing and how they had put those bricks there. The reason it's not so big now is they took a lot of the bricks off when they ran out of money for St. Peter's Basilica. But there were some bricklayers, and someone was passing by, and they talked to one of the bricklayers and asked him what he was doing, and he was just working hard and, and confidently and just kind of ignored him. Another bricklayer was just kind of indifferent, apathetic to what he was doing, didn't really want to talk. Another didn't really care about what he was doing. He was, he was spilling over the bricks, and he was kind of, when they weren't watching, wasn't working hard. And then there was another guy who just had such a smile on his face, and Someone came up to him, and, and he didn't know what this was all for. And he said, I'm sorry to, sorry to interrupt your work. And the guy said, it's, it's, it's no interruption. People are really what my work is ultimately all about. And so this person asked, well, well what are you doing? And the worker smiled, I am building a great cathedral to the glory of God. These bricks that I'm working on here, they're going to be a part of a great cathedral where God's people can come, where they can worship, where they can edify, where they can encourage each other. All those people were doing the same thing, and maybe some of them had been told about that at the beginning, but this person understood his purpose. He understood the bigger picture of what it's all about the others didn't didn't see that they were even singularly focused on their task or they weren't they didn't think it was their job to to talk to others but this guy connected what he was doing with that greater purpose and mission in the daily mundane he understood solely deo gloria in the church and i would just mention to you as we're wrapping up here on the back of your note sheet there is these solas, there's also our church's purpose statement, and then there's looking at how the philosophy of ministry sometimes traditionally is understood and what we believe is the biblical model. But I want us to look at our purpose statement. It's that second section there. I'll, I'll pull it up here on the screen. And I'd ask if we would read this out loud together. This isn't new to many of you if you've been here a while, but let's read our purpose statement together. We exist by the grace of God for the glory of God, which shall be the ultimate purpose in all we do. And then this church shall seek to glorify God by worship, 
prayer, teaching, discipleship, evangelism, edification, equipping the body to do the work of ministry, etc. There's more. I just couldn't fit it all in one slide. But you can look at that later. And our philosophy adds to this. The goal of the church is that everyone would be built up through life-on-life, iron-sharpening relationships. This is a responsibility we all share. Paul does not say that is what only one does as a preacher or a pastor. This is the church's effort, and it takes koinonia, which is that fellowship, which means close association involving mutual involvement and relationships, sharing and joint participation and communication. And then the, the last statement from that philosophy of ministry I just want to read here. Our prayer is that in this church, a passion for the supremacy of God and the sufficiency of his word would be shared among us, but would also spread to the nations for the fame of the name of the Lord. It's our hope that God will use us in whatever means he deems best in, br- in his purposes to bring honor to him and to build up his people for his glory. We hope and pray that we will always be, by God's grace, working towards a biblical ministry that is scripture-saturated, spirit-sensitive, Christ-compelled, God-centered, and that from him and through him and to him would be all things. To him be the glory. And all God's ministers said, amen. Amen. Let me pray. Our great and gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for your word that gives us all that we need for spiritual life and godliness. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your son. We thank you for these sweet and special truths that Christians have upheld through the centuries that we want to stand in. We thank you for your grace. I pray that you would help us in light of these things to live out service to one another for the glory of Christ. Amen.